if you want to have success making movies, you are going to have to think like a producer at some point. You don't have to be a producer. You don't have to have all those skills or understand all the different things that producers do. But you definitely need to understand what producers want from the perspective of why they select certain scripts, how they package a project, what entices them to get involved, and mainly because a producer stays with the project from very beginning, I mean, right after a script, really, all the way to the very, very, very end, whatever that is, past when a director is, past when a writer is. It's something we've talked about on the podcast a lot. So whether or not you want to become a producer, listening to a guest like today's Shivani Rawat will help you understand how producers think, which will be extremely valuable in your effort to acquire funding, generate interest, understand which of your projects have potential and which don't, understand the way the people who are the gatekeepers often approach this entire process. So while there are certainly a lot of cliches out there about the things producers want, there are also a lot of interesting nuances that can help you have a little extra perspective on what's good about a project you have or what a project you have needs to really get started. Of course, you never want to approach anything like, oh, I'm going to get in the mindset of someone else. You need to know what you value and champion your particular uniqueness. And I've told plenty of stories from my own experience about thinking too much like someone else. What does this manager think? What does this executive think? What does this agent think? You really need to trust your instincts. And that should go without saying. But if you don't know how producers approach their work, you're going to end up flailing and running into more obstacles than you need to. Shivani has a really good resume. She's young. She hasn't been doing this for very long, but she's already produced a number of projects that have risen to major awareness, like Trial of the Chicago 7 for Netflix just this last year. And of course, we spoke with cinematographer of that project, Faden Papa Michael, earlier on this very podcast. So you can check that one out if you want to know more about shooting it. But she'll talk a little bit about it from the producer's end. Not to mention she worked on Trumbo, she worked on Danny Collins, she worked on Wander Darkly. We also spoke to Tara Mile, who's the writer-director on that project earlier on this podcast. So she's been around a lot of the projects we've also discussed. And either way, she tells her story about why she decided to become producer, how did she start producing, and how does she choose the projects she does. So here we go. I usually like to start by asking people what sort of began their interest in the field or their career. In your particular case, I'm curious, before we even go back to that, when did you become a producer? What was what was producing always something that was interesting to you or was it something that happened at some point? 
I was, um, I'll start from, you know, my high school when, uh, so I, I did, I was born in the U.S., but I did my high school in India. And I went to an all-girls boarding school. And I remember in school, we were all part of, you know, we had extracurricular activities that we all participated in. And my favorite was drama. And I remember doing these plays and just, you know, I was, I just loved storytelling. And, uh, you know, after high school, when I was applying for colleges, I applied like everywhere for journalism and like, you know, just everywhere where I could just be connected to storytelling and sort of just, you know, I loved creativity. And I remember coming across New York Film Academy and I was like, you know what? It's not bad. It's a two year course. Let's see, you know, it's, it's intense, but let's see if I like it. That can be like my journey towards filmmaking. And I remember telling my dad that I want to go to film school. And he looked at me like, okay. And I mean, my parents knew I was always the, you know, the creative kid and always participated in dramas and, you know, some sort of like plays in school and just, you know, musicals, like always, you know, out there. So they're like, okay, cool. And they were like, but what do you think you're going to do? And I was like, you know what, let me just branch out and see what programs they have and just go from there. And I signed on to the screenwriting program at the, New, at the New York Film Academy. I just loved reading scripts at that time. We were, we were, you know, writing our own scripts, reading each other's scripts in school and just, you know, and I think that kind of formed my base for good storytelling or reading good scripts. Soon after that, you know, the two years finished and I joined New School. And, you know, I was like, let me major in liberal arts and see how we go from there, you know, kind of just understanding more, in, you know, more towards the filmmaking aspect. And at the new school, I had a couple of classes on production. And I remember being more inclined towards those production classes because as a personally as a person, I like things getting done, you know, in my among my family members, my friends, I'm known as the person who gets things done. You know, like if there's a party in the house, my mom would look at me because she knows I will get it. I will take care of it. And the same, <laughs> the same way, if my friends want to plan a trip, they look at me and I, they know I'll get it done. Like it's just I'm that I'm the person who will get things done. And I remember one of my like counselors in, school, in, in a new school was like, you're really good at like your production classes. And it was just for me to understand stories, to get the project going. You know, I would be like, okay, we would have many assignments and I would be like, okay, so-and-so is the director, so-and-so is the writer, I'll produce it. You know, like it was just like, let's get it done. And, uh, you know, I guess from there, my love for production started. And I remember like, this is, um, you know, in 2011, 2012, when I was wrapping up college, I I felt like now what, because I would hear all these stories of like people going to LA to become screenwriters or filmmakers or actors and, you know, very few getting the luck. (laughs) So that kind of scared me, but um, I'm never a planner as such. You know, I am just, I go with the flow. That's my personality. I go with the flow and just met few friends. And one day a friend of mine called me up and said, you know, um, I heard you're producing things now. I'm like, not producing, I'm looking to produce. I mean, I was reading scripts day and night, you know. And he said, he's like, um, you know, I have this project and it's written and it's written by Dan Fogelman. Uh, would you like to read it? And I'm like, sure, I'll take a look at it. I mean, who'd, you know, I, I love Dan Fogelman's work. Like, I Crazy Stupid Love was such a fun film. And I was like, I, I'll, I'll definitely read it. And I read the first 10 pages and I'm like, I need to get this done. I need to get this done. Like I kept telling myself that. 
Hmm. And uh, from there, I guess it was just like, you know, everything seems so quick now, but I'm sure that time I was just like, how do I make this happen? And, you know, just meeting people and just setting up meetings and just having the ability to talk to certain people and be like, okay, I'm coming with the financing, we're producing it, let's get this done now, you know? And uh, from that spare, from, you know, I would say that was my first production you know, officially producing experience was uh, producing Danny Collins, uh, written and directed by Dan Fogelman. And that's where my journey started. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot there that I want to yeah. follow up on. Yeah. But to start with, the, there's this sort of step-by-step, this gap where like, so you're in school, you're reading scripts, you're mm-hmm. kind of a get things done person. Mm-hmm. But, and you're, you know, you're, you have peers who are going out to Hollywood and trying to make it as a writer right. or this or that. But you get this Dan Fogelman script in your hands, right? Right. Who gave it? How did you get it in your hands? Who sent it to you? So the friend of mine who gave me the script, his friend was Dan's college roommate, and Dan was Dan was still friends with him. It was just like through I wouldn't even say connection. It was just out of the blue. This friend of mine who knows I'm into. I met him a couple of times after graduating, uh, you know, my my college, and I'm like, you know what? I'm looking out, and this is all in New York. I didn't even go to LA yet, you know, and it was just like. I'm interested in producing films. Do you know anyone? And he says, sure, I'll keep looking out. And then one day he calls me up. He's like, I have, I think I have the script for you. And you know, you have so many people calling you that time, you know, oh my God, I found the perfect script for you. And you read like five pages. You're like, no, I'm not doing this, you know, but it was just like everyone calling me and like telling me, and you know, then there were also the calls, like, this is a long process, you know, you're never going to make it move to LA start making connections there. And I'm like, I'm not leaving New York. You know, I'm, I just felt like, let me try my luck here. And it so happened that when I met that friend, he had a comp, Dan and him had a common friend. And somehow, you know, he must have met Dan and Dan must have mentioned it to him that I'm, I'm, I'm interested in directing this project. And that's how it came to my lap, you know? So, right. yeah. But what I, yeah, I think part of what's interesting is, you know, he, he was fairly established as a screenwriter. Yes. You know, yes. He wrote a number of, of things and mm-hmm. he was writing this to direct it and you were out of school essentially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so what and so you read it and you're like i love this and you know this guy's an established writer of course so what did you bring to the table as a producer when you contacted him you're like i'm new to this but you know how did you pitch yourself as the producer like what did you bring to the table that helped you get it done and and you know from that perspective I think from that perspective, it was, I'll tell you, it was supposed to be a studio film, you know, but the studios uh-huh. had, this is the story I remember being told it was a studio film and the studios had other directors in mind. And this was a very personal story to Dan and he wanted to direct it. So we, you know, I remember when this project came to me, it was attached Dan Fogelman attached as writer and director. But I would say the biggest thing I bought on the table at that time, being a first time producer was my financing. You know, I fully funded the project. Did I kick myself for that? No, I, I, you know, you have to have faith in yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. but I also had my folks who were like, okay, you're doing this, but make sure you're in it full hundred percent. Don't come back to us tomorrow and be like, nah, I want to become a musician now. I'm done producing. If you're in it, do this hundred percent, you know, don't change your career after this film, like just be in it. And I sort of kept that thinking in my mind. And as a producer, I remember, well, I'll tell you another experience. We had started, you know, we started gathering people in New York 
to sort of, you know, prep the film. And I had the funding, everything, you know, we had Dan was flying into New York. We had him, we had all the hotel set up, everything. We were two weeks into our prep. We find out that our leading actor, Al Pacino, cannot come to New York. He can't fly. He can't leave. The st- you know, there was some, you know, some personal commitment he had. He cannot fly to New York. And I was getting ready to go to the office when I get the call that the film has to be canned because Al cannot fly to New York. We have to shut the project. And at that time, I was nervous. But my second instinct was I called up the t- his team and I said, you know what? If Al can't come to New York, we're moving to Los Angeles. <laughs> we moved. I lost a lot of millions. I'm not going to lie. But that was my... <laughs> That was my instinct. And I remember everyone, everyone at that time looked at me and they were like, you're crazy. And I'm like, nope, I am not giving up. I'm a Tauren and Taurens don't give up easily. (laughs) So I was like, I was like, I am not giving up. And we moved to Los Angeles. We moved the whole production. How close were you to shooting? We were, I'm not kidding you, like three to four, three weeks away. We yeah, moved to Los Angeles. We rehired an LA crew. We rehired LA, everyone local. Like it was just setting up the office, everything. But you know what? Everything happens for a reason because the people I work with on that production, I'm still friends with. I there's you know most of them are like my family. I any anytime I have a, a situation or a problem, I call them up, and I just feel like God does everything for a reason. You know, like my best memories of production set is from Danny Collins, obviously being my first film, but at the same time, you know, just experiencing everything firsthand. And yeah, we started in LA, and it was just bang on. That was that was. I mean, you, people talk about oh, we had a glitch. I had a massive one million dollar glitch. <laughs> So I'm not going to lie. It was, it was a lot, but you know what? Everything happens for a reason. And I just learned to be more positive. And yeah, we started and we went to, we went to LA and you know, that was talking about learning lesson. That was my first learning lesson as a producer that, you know, if you're committed, you know, I would say if you're committed to a story, if you're committed to a project, give it your hundred percent. And I think I gave my 200% to Danny Collins. You know, I was like, like (laughs) I'll just go, you know, look for those who don't know, the movie stars Al Pacino, but it also stars Annette Benning, Jennifer Garner, uh, Christopher Plummer, as well as a bunch of other names you're familiar with. So for a first movie you produced, and it looks like at least there are a few other producers on it. Mm-hmm. Were you the first producer who signed on? Uh, Jesse Nelson was signed on as the first producer because she knew Dan. So she mm-hmm. was signed on as the first producer. And how does it work? I mean, I'm trying to sort of like take our, you know, because you've had a lot of success since then, but I'm trying to contextualize your career for those listening and sort of like, how does one launch into producing movies? And like, you know, you're producing a feature. It's your first one and Al Pacino and Al and that Benning, you know, legends of cinema Mm -hmm, (laughs) and mm -hmm. and like millions of dollars being lost as you move across the country to shoot it. It's a big, large scale. How did you fit in with the other producers? What was the producing team like? And and what were your roles? So I'll tell you, um, I was more of, um, a, I would say, a financier in the beginning of the project. You know, when during the prep part, I came on as a financing producer. And then we hired 
Monica Levinson to be our executive producer who took on the, you know, like the president of production for our film. And Monica, who has great movies, you know, to her resume, she did, you know, Borat and, you know, she's done Bruno and she's done, um, you know, a, a bunch of uh, other uh, dodgeball and name it. And, and, and she happened to be available at that time. And Dan met her and, you know, loved her and she came on board. And I felt like for me, I learned a lot from Monica on that film because when you're seeing your budgets, every time I had a question, I would go to her and I'd say like, okay, what is happening here? And she would sit me down and explain me dot to dot. So mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, it like this, like, it's just, it's, it's teamwork, you know? And I feel like when you have a great team, it's true. Teamwork is dream work, you know? And I just feel like we were lucky to have the best of you know, we had like Monica was was one of the producers with me, but like at the same time, our head of departments, whoever Dan chose, were all amazing. You know, it was just like everyone gave their hundred percent to the film. You know, and I feel like mm-hmm. I just feel like as a producer, when you're seeing, you know, you have ten things on a list, and if all ten things are being ticked off, you know you're doing something right. <laughs> you know, you know, like okay, there is a good finished project coming up. And I feel like even Dan, you know, that was like his, you know, first time directing. And I felt that he'd written so many scripts in the past, of course, you know, but like directing it and directing Al and, you know, directing all these legends. I just feel like he was such a great leader, you know, for him to create this vision for all of us of what he wanted his film to look I just felt like this is going to be a real project. You know, this is going to be a good project. And we all gave gave our full efforts to it. So I feel like, you know, everyone, we all did our part. Like I was the financier producer. Then I became the creative producer. And I remember Monica being the creative one there. Jesse being, you know, sort of Dan's ears to the project. We all played our part. You learned a lot about the nuts and bolts. Of course. Through the of process. Of one course. of my, my, my next question was sort of, you you know you quickly jumped into a couple other things you, mm-hmm. captain fantastic trumbo which mm-hmm. i'm sure a lot of people are familiar with how how do you pick these projects like it sounds like with danny collins you were you know you were looking to get your first produ- production done mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and invest and you were you know jumping at the opportunity to work with someone like him and you loved the script but from there, once you're kind of foot in the door, you've established, you know, you work with these people. When you read scripts, I'm sure you read many now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are the ones that, what are the things that you look for? What are the things that turn you off or on immediately? Yeah. I feel, you know, I look for two main things when I'm reading scripts. One is the storytelling. You know, I feel if I can understand the story and if I emotionally connect to a story, I'm doing it right away. But second important thing is, I always grasp the vision of the writer. What vision did the writer have when writing the project? You know, what, and you know, another thing I always notice is, if I make this film, you know, and I ask this, I ask this question to myself every time I read a script, if I make this film, do I see myself seeing this film 20, 30 years down the line and being proud of it? And if my heart says, yes, you'll be proud of it. And if I feel it in my gut, I always do the project. Hmm. 
what when you say proud of it again i mean looking through your your resume it's like you've you managed to pull some of the great talent like every single project so i'm gonna follow up and ask you about how you do that but <laughs> but like what what is it that that you're that makes you feel like you're proud of it or not like what how do you define that for example i'll take a project of mine called captain fantastic I was flying from, I was taking a red eye from LA to New York. I was sent that project, the script, and, you know, my agent was like, take a look and let us know what you think. And I remember reading it on my flight, but like reading it twice and itching to call up my agent the very moment and saying, I want to do this project. I want to do this. I want to do this film. And I remember landing and emailing everyone at probably like three o'clock, two o'clock in the morning and being like, let's do this now. Like, let's do this now. And I'll tell you, the experience I had reading Captain Fantastic was from page one till the end, I could just feel Matt Ross's emotions in the project, in his, in the story. I could feel it. I could feel that Matt, the passion that Matt had, I felt it in his script, you know, beautiful storytelling, you know, beautiful dialogues, the whole, just, just, just the, 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 you know, it's such a, I, like, it's an interesting family, the relation between the father and his children. I felt all of that. And I remember when I first met Matt Ross, when he, you know, when he met me, I could see the passion that he had, that he, that the script, you know, that he wrote in the script, he had that passion built in him for the vision, for the, for the project, you know, for when he shoots the film, everything was just, he had a, he had a vision for it. And I like meeting the directors who have, who make me understand their vision, but at the same time, they understand my vision for their film. You know, I'm not a producer who give you the money and say, okay, see you at the premiere. No, I always support my directors through all phases of filmmaking, you know, through the development, through prep, through production, through post, and some through even distribution. I have gone all way in and uh, all the way in for all my projects. And I remember, like, just like Matt told me, he said, Shivani, I waited five years for Vigo. He said, Was I called stupid? Of course. You know, people were like, You're crazy. You can hire, you can get anyone. But he said, I waited. Was Vigo, five years. oh, that was what I was going to ask you next. Yeah. Was Vigo a part of the package when yes. you came on? Or? Yes. Okay. Vigo was because Matt waited five years for him. And I just felt a guy who can wait that long for your, you know, if it's, it's almost like he wrote the project for Vigo. And I feel when he met me, it was just for me, like, I have to do this because. You know, just the emotions in that project, just the beautiful storytelling. And, you know, towards the end of it, you always remember the good stories. You know, you always remember the stories that hit you, that hit a chord in your heart. And I felt that all my projects have always etched something in my heart. And I've learned, you know, good stuff from my projects all the time. What about Trumbo? Because where did you become involved in that one? At so what tr- point in the process? Yeah, so Trumbo was, again, it was in development phase. And, you know, the script was sent to me. And I remember uh, Jay Roach was directing it. And uh, Brian Cranston was on the verge of being casted as Trumbo, like one of the final stages when I came to finance mm-hmm. and produce the project. And, you know, I've been a huge Jay Roach fan. And just meeting him, I was like, 
I'm doing this project to work with you. And he just laughed. And I said, you know what? <laughs> I'm like, it's my second film and I'm just doing it to work with you. And, you know, of course. But for me, you know, being a film school student, lear- reading all the scripts that were written by Dalton Trumbull, you know what I mean? So right. that for me was a connection right away. And just... You know, we were, I remember we were, we were, we casted Helen Mirren and then Michael Stuhlberg, John Goodman and, you know, Elle Fanning, Diane Lane, all these names were coming up while, you know, when we had, when we had come on board to produce and, you know, produce the project. And I just feel like that again was such a learning experience because, you know, when see, you know, when I used to watch dailies of the film of production every day. I, it was hard for me to give notes to Jay because I would be like, Jay, everything, I, I was like, Jay, everything looks perfect. And I would tell him, I, I, he would laugh about it. He's like, you're so nice. I'm like, no, I'm like, this is Brian Cranston. Like no one has ever seen him. You know, this is Brian being Dalton Trumbo. This is nobody can imagine anyone else play Dalton Trumbo, but like you can't imagine anyone else. And I was like, this is Brian. This is, this is going to be nominated. Brian's going to be nominated. And I kept saying that again and again. And I just feel like, you know, again, it's not just, you know, it's obvious about, okay, for good storytelling, but the characters, you know, each one, like Hera's character, you know, how strong was she? And and thinking of someone like that at that time, you know, you can't get, you know, you, 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 you can't, you're like amazed by like talking about women empowerment. That woman mm. was full of empowerment, you know what I mean? And yeah. it was just like, so all these things click. And like I said, it's always about good storytelling. It's always about right. that. So, you know. Well, one, yeah. of the, one of the interesting things to illustrate for, for listeners is that you say it's about something that speaks to you or right. something that stays with you. But a lot of the genre you enter is different. So, you know, Beirut mm-hmm. is sort of like a thriller, a CIA, you know, mm-hmm. historical, it's a period and very different from some of these kind of comedy drama, indie, right. and right. very certainly very different from Trumbo, which right. is political, but also uh, his historical right. uh, about and it's about Hollywood. So I, I'm wondering if there's a the common thread, you know, saying the story sticks with you, the characters, it sounds like sometimes just the director, but I assume you get a fair number of scripts that just come from like submissions that that aren't coming from people like a Jay Roach or yeah. You know, Beirut was written by Tony Gilroy. Right, so. right, exactly. <laughs> so right. when you're reading a script by somebody, you know, fresher, let's say, um, do you do you do those enter into consideration a lot? Do you? I mean, at this point, because you've been established, do you think or do you look at scripts like that and consider, okay, I'm going to start, you know, with someone new. I mean, we spoke to Tara, yes. uh, who wrote and directed *Wander Darkly* recently. Yes. I did, and that—that's yes. she's she's not new per se, but that was definitely a, a different voice. Yes, you know? and I would say exactly. I was coming to *Wander Darkly* myself. You know, like I feel when I read that project. So Lynette Howell uh, sent me the project, and she said, "You know, take a look at it and let me know what you think." And I remember reading it, and I swear it was just. In my heart, there were pages, I just had tears coming out of my eyes. Like I was just like, couldn't help but cry in some scenes. And somewhere in my heart, I kept thinking, this is too personal. This feels too personal, you know? Hmm. And I remember getting on a call with Lynette the next day and I'm like, I wanna do it, I'm interested, but what's the what's, what's the deal? And she said, she's like, believe it or not, it's based on Tara's true story. And I said, Lynette, I swear, I had an instinct that this feels 
too personal. Like the dialogues are like they're dialogues that a normal husband and wife have, you know, like it's, it's mm. just too personal. So I remember then talking to Tara and when I heard her, what she went through and how this inspiration to write Wander Darkly came. Now, if I was your regular producer who would be like, okay, good, you know, first time writer, uh, first time director, big project, you know, she's written other stuff before. Mm, yeah. Interested. We'll call you back, you know, and probably yeah. push, you know, push the project away. But I just felt I can't push this project away because not only was it too, you know, it felt too personal, but at the same time, just hearing Tara's, Tara's, you know, personal experience, what she went through, I was amazed. And then, you know, when we, once we started doing all the storyboards and just getting, sort of getting this project together, I knew we had a winner. I just felt because I feel, you know, every time, like, and this is my personal experience, Every time I've seen the film, and this is probably like 100 times by now, I have cried each time and at different stages. Probably every time I see it, I cry at a different point. I never cried it before, you know? And like, I just feel Wonder Darkly, it's just at this point, especially when it's released during COVID, you know, we've, the whole world has gone through bullshit year. You know, the whole world has gone through a tough year. A trauma. A trauma. And I just feel that if, you know, this, if, if this is when you haven't realized what love is, what true love means, what your, what, what true love for someone means for you, it's, you haven't realized it at all. You know, you don't know what love is. And I just feel that this film will be so important for our viewers to see, especially now is, you know, I, I always tell people, you, you know, you're going to lose your loved ones. You know that, you know, we know that we're going to lose our loved ones, but this is the time when you know to make good memories you know, to make the memories that you will hold on forever. And I just felt like Wander Darkly taught me that, you know. All these projects you've done, yeah. almost all of them, have a number of stars attached that are major names. And, you know, if it's, you know, John Hamm and, uh, or <laughs> Al Pacino or mm-hmm. in, 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 in so many, or Vigo who yeah. came with the project, but is there, how do you have such success at luring top talent to these films? Um, in some cases, Trumba, I know in some cases they're sort of attached right. when you come in, which maybe is part of why. But in other cases, it seems like like Diego Luna, Sienna Miller right. on Wander Darkly. You know, what is it that makes it, how do you approach talent? Because that seems like oftentimes it is the key to securing financing it's of course the key to getting people to see movies in the right. first place, like right. later down the line. So that's such an important piece of it. As a producer, how do you do it? You know, I would always say it starts with good storytelling, you know, and I feel like when you read a script, right, as producers, if that script is hooking me up, like if I'm hooked onto that script and I send it to a actor, that script has to be, that role for that particular actor has to be powerful enough, meaningful enough for them to be hooked onto I always think that, you know, I'll give you an example. We had a film called Brian Banks, you know, which is a true story about Brian Banks, who was a, who's an, you know, a high school footballer falsely accused of raping his classmate and then, you know, exonerated 10 years after the incident. And it was just, you know, a 60 minute piece that turned into this film when, you know, we, and now, you know, it got released. Uh, Tom Shadyac directed it last, it got released last year. We had, so when we were, you know, casting for the role, we had Aldous Hodge playing Brian Banks. And 
Justin Brooks, who plays Brian's mentor, and you know, he is the guy who heads the California Innocence Project, and was a big help, a big support in Brian getting exonerated and, you know, for Brian's life to move forward. His role is very important in Brian's life. And when we were casting, I remember we had gone to a couple of people, you know, a couple of actors and, you know, again, people were busy, whatever. And Greg Kinnear read that role. And I remember we'd heard that Greg was interested in it because it's, it's, you know, like I said, it's, you, you know, Brian Banks, the star is Brian Banks, but Justin Brooks character is so important in Brian's life. You know, like the, he's the, he's the crux for Brian, you know? And I remember when I heard Joe, you know, Greg Kinnear being interested, I was so happy because Greg is one of my favorite actors. Like I've loved, you know, as a, as a kid, I used to watch the movies he would be in as a, and I, I love his performances. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So I was like, wow. And you know, that's when I understood that there has to be something in a role or that you're sending your actors, you know, some part of the role would speak to them, you know, and listen, they're all great actors, but I'm sure even these actors want a meaningful role in their lives. You know, it's not about like, okay, I'm doing an action. No, they want to play, they want to portray characters that have some, you know, sort of just, I would say connection to real life, you know, some sort of just a, just, you know, you know what you know. What I'm saying, like, just some sort of, yeah. like, you know, some sort of. Like, how many, how many typically do you go out to for a role like that? Was Kinnear on a list of many, or was no? He, I think it was you know, first one. He was, he was in the first. He was in the top three. You know, he was in the top three. And I remember, like, it was just like we all wanted him to do the role in a way. And when we right. heard that he said yes, it was a win-win case. But I feel like, you know, like for example, it was just I, I'm trying to think of even um, like Wanda Darkly. You know, mm-hmm. I, Diego Luna was part, you know, he came, I think he was, he, he was attached to do the project. But if you see this, if you see the film, it's Sienna and Diego both are playing a couple, but Sienna is the main role. Now, if there was right. someone else, they would have been like, I don't want to play a second fiddle. But Diego said yes. And I feel he has truly blessed some scenes that he's supposed to be in. It's just, it's, you know, some dialogue that he's had, the character that he is. I feel like that is, you know, it's 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 one of those remar- remarkable roles for his career also. You know, so I just feel like when you're writing a script as writer and when you're sending it to your actors as producer, director, whoever, you know, there has to be a hook on your character. There has to be some sort of an intriguing part of your character that the actors want to play. What it makes me think of is looking at the the films you've done. There is often more than one really notable name Mm -hmm. in in these movies and i think that and they're not major mainstream releases in many cases so it's like there's a part for a frank langella or steve zahn in a movie with vigo mortensen and and i assume it's because what you're saying there are the characters not just the main character that sienna miller is going to play but also that side character that diego luna is going to play is going to offer him something exactly um that that and uh, you know there's so many examples of that in your work but it seems like maybe you're saying you gravitate towards scripts where there's a lot of good roles you can find great people for Uh, waterman which is 
this year, uh, Rosario Dawson, mm-hmm. Alfred Molina. Like <laughs> there's again, there's like a list of, of, and that's not even all of it. So mm-hmm. I'm so struck by in your resume, these, these projects where there are a, a number of great talents right. you know, like, <laughs> within the cast. Yes. Like talking about, you know, Waterman, for instance, you know, David Oyelowo's directorial debut and David stars in the project as the father, you know, of uh, right. our main character. But I feel like Alfred Molina is in the film for a very short time. And I know that, you know, when Alfred read the script, he's like, man, this is interesting. You know, I know that he was so interested to play the role. Yeah. He said, yeah. So what I'm trying to say is like every project, you know, every, like if you look at this, at all the, you know, the projects we have or the screenplays we've, we, we've had, I feel that even the supporting characters have an yeah. element, have a strong element to play in, you know? And it can, like, for me, you know, obviously when I do films, I want, you know, at every scene, I want a famous actor. But sometimes, yeah. you know, it's that's not possible either. Sometimes it you seems get... seems <laughs> like you kind of do that. <laughs> you know what? But... It's, it's, I, would, I would then give a big, huge round of applause to my writers. You know, when they send out their scripts, I'm sh- there is that element, I, again, in supporting actors and actresses that in the role, that whoever we go to, they get intrigued by it. You know, right. like I remember during Danny Collins, Jennifer Garner plays Al Pacino's daughter-in-law. You know, we yeah. were, I was so happy. She, <laughs> it was my first film and it was like, oh my God, the cast is, you couldn't get better within this cast. But again, like right. she is a strong woman, you know, she is strong mm-hmm. and she, you know, it, it, it's just the way Jennifer played it. I feel she, whoever watched the film is like, oh my God, you know, like I remember one of my friends was like, oh my God, I wish my wife is like her. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> but keep hoping. But like, you know, I just feel that, like I said, it's these elements that matter, you know, elements of strong storytelling that matters. Depend, it doesn't matter what, you know, role they have. It's just some sort of, you know, strong, like, you know, just stronger elements in each character, I feel. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're making a great point for writers though, uh, which is that, you know, don't package your script around one role that exactly. you can offer to someone. Package your script around a ton of great, interesting roles. It'll make your story better. It'll make it more attractive to more talent. And it's just more fun to watch, right? Like, yes. I mean, it's, it's a win-win, but I think there's a tendency to think you're writing like a lead or maybe two leads and then kind of a bunch of stuff that doesn't that doesn't rise to yeah. the same level or, or services the story instead of being its own unique special opportunity you know i'll give you another example of a com you know like a, a, a drama comedy i did was polka king it was a fun time direct uh, producing it sorry fun time producing it but our cast was unbelievable it was jack black jenny slade jason schwartzman jackie weaver you don't get better than that in a comedy you know <laughs> but I- it's everyone like you know i remember watching it when we premiered at Sundance, people were like, oh my God, we love you. We love this one. We love, like, you just don't get better. And again, like Jack, we knew the Polka King is Jack Black. He is the Polka King. But did Jason play an important role in the film? Of course he did. You know, he was the right hand to, to Jack Black's character. Was Jenny important? Of course she is. She's his wife. But again, just like you said that, you know, for all the writers out there, when you're creating your supporting actors, give them, you know, give them some sort of a, I would say, you know, enough importance, but also like good, give their characters good storytelling, good creation, 
that they get attracted to play those roles. You know, you have a busy slate and you had, you know, this year, multiple things, including Trial of Chicago 7 Mm -hmm. for Netflix. So just a lot of big projects. But what are you looking to do next? How in the way I also kind of want to ask you before we go, the industry is changing a lot this year. The model has changed a lot as somebody who has to have an eye on both the process of creating and selecting creative material, but also on releasing it and where it releases and how costs are recouped. Like what's going to happen? Like what is, is there a path to theatrical that makes money or is this is streaming the future? You know, so much has happened lately with Warners and stuff. What are your opinions on, on the direction of things? You know, I feel like, as you said, you know, we're in a changing time right now, but I feel like everyone's itching to go back to theaters. You know, like I know so many people who are like, we cannot wait to go to a movie theater, you know, but I feel that, you know, in the past, people were like, oh, we don't want to go to a movie theater. We can watch TV on and we can watch the movie at home on demand or on what we know, different platforms. And now it's the opposite. You know, everyone's done with watching films at home. They want to go to movie theaters, you know. So I'm hoping, like, I'm old school. I still buy a ticket to go to my movies. I still buy a ticket to go to, I still go watch movies in theaters. But then again, yeah. that's saying, I'm not against platform releases either. Wonder Darkly, Lionsgate released it on demand. And I feel, you know, industry will come back. You know, all these, you know, we will have our films releasing in theaters. We will have a film releasing in on demand. Like films will come out, you know. I feel like as a, as a producer, I want to find the best home for my film you know I want to be it whatever if it's network if it's digital if it's you know in theaters I want to find the perfect home but my my one message to whoever you know to the listeners is just like what I did during COVID was give time for development I developed so many projects you know I read I gave my writers the time to write and rewrite and just read their drafts. And like I have done my team and me, our whole goal for during COVID was development. You know, we went on to- So you have a lot of stuff in the tank ready for us? You know, (laughs) I'm hoping, I'm hoping they're all in a very fresh stage, but like, you know, the amount of content we were reading and rereading and, you know, like the content we already have, we were having our writers rewrite and redraft and- I just feel like this was the time to really, and you know, there are projects I had to let go also, which I've had for like two years now, you know, and I read the scripts and I, you know, I literally spoke to myself like, you know what, do you see this self, this getting made, you know, and there was something in it not clicking with me, you know, and I said, look, this is the time to really reflect on your development slate. You know, hmm. you want your writers. We we had all our writers write and rewrite and just a lot of communication with what's working, what characters working, what scenes working, change like just a lot of time on development. Because I feel when you have a strong base, everything falls in place. You know, I just feel yeah. like, you know, to all the writers out there, don't give up. You know, just this is the time right now to really think, read, reread, rewrite all your materials you know this is the time and you're never going to get this time again you know but this is the time right now sitting at home keep looking at materials keep reading materials you know grasp good stuff get your scripts out there because this is the time and right after this producers like me will be waiting to read many more scripts so you know this is the time 
Yeah, I, you know, I, you kind of started answering already, but I like to usually end. Thank you so much for your time. But I, but I want to end asking you one last question, which yes. is just what, you know, say I'm a producer yeah. and I want to start and I'm out of school. What is your advice? Like, what do you advise someone to do to get started in producing movies or television? I, my first advice is never give up. I know it sounds too cliched, you know, but sec, I think my advice would be read, keep reading scripts. You never know what will click with you. You know, I had, I once had a friend who would be like, man, I've read 10 scripts and I've given up. I'm like, you can't give up after reading 10 scripts. You have to read the 50 scripts to find the two you want to make. You have to read the 20 scripts to find the one you want to make, you know? And another advice would be keep, you know, meeting writers, keep generating with your writers, you know, keep like, I would say this is a tough time to meet people, but like, I feel like, you know, as a, as a fresh producer, go for all the, I mean, we're living in a world that you can join, like, you know, all these talks and all these like places where you can meet people virtually, where you can listen to producers, directors, writers, just grasp all this information, you know, 10 years before, Half the things didn't exist. 20 years before, half the things didn't exist. Now we have so many things. We have the Sundance Lab. We have the New York Women in Film. We have the LA Women in Film. We have like the, you know, there's so many things out there, you know. Just be part of it. Listen, keep your ears open. You never know what a conversation next to you might become your next project, you know. Just keep right. listening. Keep like staying connected to the exactly. other Exactly. Take as much information as you can. Read. I remember I had a project once which was a which was a sixty minute piece on CBS and I ended up making a movie on that. It was just but literally through and it didn't take me it didn't it wasn't like, oh, we're doing this now. It took me two years, but I never gave up. And if you're a good producer, you will not give up easily on your projects. You know, fight for your projects. Get them made. Get them done and stick with your directors. You have to support your directors through thick and thin. Do it, you know. <laughs> it's good advice. I've heard a lot of actually, you're not the first producer who said it's yeah. the lifespan of a project really lives with the producer. Yes. So it's a long it's a long commitment, right? Mm-hmm. It is <laughs> a long commitment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks to Shivani for coming on. Yeah, I mean, as a person who's been a all manner of producer in my past, I'm always interested to hear from people who are producing. And it's also fun that she spoke about projects that she worked on that we had other guests from, like Trial of Chicago 7 with DP Fade and Papa Michael and Wander Darkly with Tara Mille, who was the writer-director on that. So it's nice to gain additional perspective when we've spoken to other people from the same things. I'd love for everyone to check those interviews out as well. Not to mention, I want to tell everyone to head over to nowfilmschool.com to check out our gear guides. What are our gear guides? They are buyer's guides, essentially, for all of you to identify products in the world of gear and tech that you might need across all disciplines, from software to lighting to sound recording to cameras. For every need you have, and lenses, we've started covering these things. We'll tell you what to buy for what need and why. We'll give you our full review of them plus specs. And these are going to be constantly updated. So you can bookmark the page, come back, check anytime you need anything and get our idea of what is out there and what is best for 
each particular use case. Thanks so much for listening.